Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to start tonight, and it's probably going to take, uh, I would think, about maybe six weeks or so, seven weeks. It'll probably end up right before Christmas time. Uh, On Wednesday nights, we've had uh, so many new folks added to the church uh, I, I went through this series about two years ago because uh, we had some new folks then as well. And um, on uh, our purpose of our church, uh, from a biblical perspective, why do we have our church? What is the purpose of the church? And the philosophy of the church, having right motives and uh, methods that we go about, and that's all dictated by our philosophy of ministry. And we want to make sure that we're biblical first and foremost. In Luke chapter number 9, we have read uh, this passage. I've preached on this passage before, and I'm not going to re-preach it to you tonight. I'm just going to use it as a launching off point. As we get down to verse number 57, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here we find three men that are willing to follow God, but they are not willing to follow God First, we've preached on this numerous times. We've talked about some areas of our lives that we need to uh, put God first in. And, of course, that applies to every area of life. And by the time we went through the list of five things that I've given you before in the past, um, we find that uh, it covers pretty much everything. Our, our, uh, our schedule, the, the time that we keep, uh, the, uh, our life's work, our affections, our income, and our minds. And those are the things that I've given in the past uh, that ought to have, God ought to have first claim over. Back about 35 years ago, there was a Bible conference that was getting ready to be held, and there was going to be a number of pastors that were going to come together in a leadership conference. 
before the conference took place, they sent out uh, a survey and they asked the, the men to list the greatest need in our churches today. Now, this is 35 years ago. If you can rest assured that these things hold true even more so today than they did 35 years ago. There were four main things that came into the list, and I'm going to give those to you very quickly. The first one was that there be a revival in our churches of piety among our church membership. Piety in our churches or holy living. Um, I believe that it was uh, Alexander McLaren many, many years ago at the World Baptist Congress that said that powerful personal holiness is the first, second, and third requisite of the Christian life. The idea that we have a, a life that seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, the Bible says, shall be added unto you. The fact that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. We don't have to re-preach that to you. We do that. We preach on that a lot here. One of the things that we don't want to be guilty of in this church is trying to make an outward shell of a Christian and never deal with the heart. Uh, to me, the most important thing, if... if, if if there's anything that we're shooting for, that we're aiming for, it's for the heart. And it's to make sure that our hearts are what they ought to be. And I've found this over the years to be true in my life and the lives of many other people, that when the heart is what it should be, when it's the way it should be, when it loves God the way that it should, the other things seem to take care of themselves for the most part. There's still some instruction, there's still some maturity and growth that needs to take place. But for the most part, when the heart is right, there's the longing and the desire to please God in everything that we do. And so that was the first thing on the list. That was, in fact, that was by far, in fact, that was way above all of the others. That there be a revival in our churches of piety and holy living among the membership of the churches. The second one was that they go back and revisit the purpose of the church from a biblical perspective. Uh, churches have become, in recent days, uh, Clubs, if you will, places of entertainment, um, social gatherings, if you will. Um, there needs to be a revisiting of our purpose from a biblical perspective. Uh, there's a lot of churches today that are in existence and they really don't know why they exist. Uh, they meet together and they make everybody feel good that they attended the service that week and they did their Christian duty, so to speak, if you will. And, um, and that's really about all the church is there for, uh, to give a place for, for Christians to come and do their Christian duty. The third thing is that we have a refocusing of priorities. The refocusing of priorities. Isn't it amazing that we get so uh, busy prioritizing and making the unimportant things the things that are important? Now, uh, I think fellowship in a church is, is, an, is an important thing. I really do. But when, but when you have more, um, when you have, now I'm not counting our Sunday afternoon time because that's just something we have to do between services to provide a meal. But when we have more church fellowships than we have prayer meetings, something's out of priority. Uh, when we have uh, more church activities than we do revival services, then something's out of, out of priority. Uh, we begin to have wrong priorities and we, we begin to major on the minors and we minor on the majors. And there needs to be a revisiting of that. And then the third thing was that there be a restructuring of a biblical philosophy of ministry. We're going to talk about that in weeks to come, about a philosophy of ministry from God's Word. Because our philosophy must be based on our theology. 
It must come from the Word of God. Now, we've spent some time here in Luke chapter 9 just to kind of launch everything off because one of the things we want to make sure that we are first and foremost focused on here at Keith Ice Baptist Church is that we use the Bible as our sole authority of faith and practice, meaning that we want to get our purpose from the Bible. We don't want to just come up with a purpose. We want to get our methods and our motives from the Bible. Uh, we want to get our philosophy from the Bible. We want to set our priorities from the Bible. That is our key thing. and It needs to be elevated in our church to such a position that everything that we look to comes from God's Word. And so we're going to take some time to look at, and tonight we're just going to give kind of a real quick introductory, very introductory it looks like from the time of things, uh, high-level overview of our purpose of ministry, and then we'll expound on it, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and hold your place there for just a moment. I found over the years, um, and I was in a meeting where a fellow used these three things as uh, what usually dictate a church's philosophy rather than Scripture. When a church becomes unbiblical in its purpose, it's usually because of one of three things. Uh, the first one is they have begun to uplift and to elevate tradition rather than Bible principle. Tradition rather than Bible principle. You ever heard a phrase like this? Well, we've never done it that way before. That's not the way it's always been done. And if you're not careful, a church will make its purpose revolve around the fact that, well, that's just what we've always done. Um, our church does this because that's what we've always done, not because it fits our biblical purpose. Uh, Sunday school, I think, is a great thing. Uh, and I've heard people, <laughs> the, the joke in college was that there were people sometimes that would say, well, bless God, if it was good enough for Paul and Silas, Sunday school is good enough for me. Well, they didn't have Sunday school when Paul and Silas were around. But uh, does that make Sunday school a bad thing? No, it doesn't. But if we're having Sunday school only because that's what we've always done, then there's something wrong with that. We need to know the biblical purpose for that. There's a lot of things that a church does by way of ministry that a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll do it only because that's the way we've always done it and not because there's a Bible reason for it. I found this to be true over the years that usually when that, when that uh, thing first began in the church, whatever it is that we're looking at, uh, when it first began in the church, it usually that generation that was in the church at the time had a biblical purpose for it. Most, most of that first generation that started that practice in the church had a biblical purpose for it. The problem was they didn't pass that biblical purpose down to the second and the third generations. And then uh, all of a sudden they're doing it because that's our tradition. That's what we've always done. So that's why we're doing it. We need to revisit our purpose. I'll tell you this. It helps our motivation in serving. It also will help us to have a burden for serving when we understand the biblical reason for it. Not just because that's the way we've always done it. Uh, I, I've been there before where, oh boy, Wednesday night. Who said, we, where in the Bible does it say we have to have a Wednesday night service? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's, I've worked hard all day today. I've been there. Have, I mean, you all admit that. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, no, another Wednesday. Where in the, we, that's where we get when we do it because of tradition. Instead of from Bible principle, are there some things why we do it? that are based in Bible. Is it a good thing that we do? Well, sure. The second thing that will cause a church to deviate from a biblical purpose 
is peer pressure. <laughs> and this is amazing, and a lot of, a lot of people uh, don't realize this, but uh, when you go to some of these Bible conferences around the country, and a lot of churches... The members don't usually go to those conferences. Usually they send a pastor or they send the assistant pastor and the pastor or maybe a deacon with them. And they go to these, they, they go to these Bible conferences and they, they get around their peers and they get around people that are like them and like-minded. And by the way, we ought to get around people that are like-minded. I think there's strength in that. But if we're not careful, we'll begin to do things simply because that's the way everybody that we associate with does it. There's, there's a peer pressure there. And if I don't do it, what are they going to think of me? I mean, we moved our evening service to 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and boy, heavy, heavy hung over my head for about eight months. I had some pretty, pretty uh, odd comments about some things there from some pastor friends of mine. Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> and you should have heard some of the stuff that came out. We've we got to be careful that we're not just doing it because of peer pressure. And then the other one is, the third one is pragmatism. Pragmatism, that's a big word. It just simply means we do it because we think it works. Uh, we see another church uh, being successful, let's say, uh, from an unbiblical form of success. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come, what, what is a, a measurement of success in a church. But we look at them and we say, boy, they've got a huge growing bus ministry. They must be successful. They must be doing it right. And what they are doing works. So we're going to go over there, we're going to find out what they're doing, and we're going to do it. Because it works. Can I tell you, it may not be a wrong thing that they're doing, but it certainly is a wrong motive for us to bring it into our church. We need to find out, is there a Bible reason for it? When these three things come into pass, any one of the three or a combination of them, when they, when they come into a church, what ends up happening is we begin to arrive at truth, and follow me for a minute on this, we begin to arrive at truth backwards. Instead of coming to the Word of God and seeing what the Word of God says and then saying, boy, I see in the Bible we're supposed to be doing this, so let's, let's, let's have this ministry over here so we can meet what the Bible says. Instead of that, what we normally do is we either see it by tradition or by peer pressure or by pragmatism. It works. Somebody called it Dr. Phil DePew, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, because it works. We're, we're going to do it. So some guy gets up in a Bible conference and they say, well, uh, we think that a church ought to have at least 200 people saved and baptized in a year. If you don't have 200 people saved and baptized in a year, then you're not a spiritual church. By the way, some of you sit there and say, that never happened. It does. It does happen. And so the, what does the pastor do to that church? Well, he goes back and he says, oh boy, I, I want to make sure we're a biblical church. And I don't know why, where they get their numbers sometimes from. It, you know, it certainly wasn't maybe find a Bible number or something to match it. But they come back and they, from that conference, they're all fired up and they charge their people and they encourage them. They say, we're going to have 200 people saved and baptized this year. And they set a goal. And the goal becomes their, their guiding force in everything else that they do from this point on. We're arriving at it backwards. The goal then is... Uh, is, uh, is set, and then we sit down and we say, okay, how are we going to accomplish this goal? And so we begin to develop methods, but the methods are not based on the Bible. The methods are based on accomplishing the goal. So we're going to have some crazy stuff. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have uh, helicopters drop candy 
and we're going to we're going to have uh, pig chases and we're going to uh, we're going to do all kinds of promotional things to to get to the goal to get to the end mark here. Now, I don't want to tell you that promotion is always wrong, but if that's what's driving it, our goal, then there's something wrong with that. We've gone to it backwards. So we develop some kind of method, and then this method becomes tradition. All right? So now we're doing this. We did it last year. We did it the last 15 years. So we're always going to do it now. This is what we do. Why? Because it was based on a goal. The goal that somebody told us in some Bible conference we needed to have. Because of pragmatism, we said it must work for them. We're going to try it in our church. And you see how it all kind of rotates around here. We end up coming to truth backwards. So we develop a method to meet the goal. The method becomes tradition. Over time, tradition becomes equal to doctrine. Boy, you don't, you don't change that in our church. No, sir, that isn't. Boy, if you do that, we're going to ostracize you. You're out of the church, buddy. That's as serious as, as defiling our doctrine. It becomes that solid and so ingrained. And then doctrine, once it is accepted, becomes the truth. And we've arrived at truth backwards. Can I tell you this? Anytime we arrive at that kind of a truth, it will always be a perverted truth. It's never going to be the right truth. So we want to find out then, what are we supposed to do? What is, what is it that is our biblical purpose of ministry? Because we want to start with the Bible. We want to establish what the purpose of the church is and then let the purpose of the church drive everything else. The purpose of the church is going to dictate our methods along with our philosophy of ministry. The purpose of our church is going to dictate uh, how we go about and accomplish this. It's going to dictate what we consider to be truth. And Bible doctrine and Bible principles are all going to be dictated from a biblical purpose of the church. So let's take our Bibles. Look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 4. And we're going to deal with this particular passage uh, at length, probably in two weeks' time, I believe, uh, if I have my lessons in the right order. Ephesians chapter number 4, if you will look with me in verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of the church is for the perfecting of the saints. To do the work of the ministry, which will edify the body of Christ. To perfect the saints, to do the ministry, which will edify the body of Christ. What does the word perfect here mean? Well, it means mainly to equip or to fully equip, to train. Some people use the word mature for perfect. Uh, to grow the Christian, to strengthen the Christian. Hold your place here for a minute. Look with me in Ephesians. Or, I'm sorry, Ephesians. Or in Ephesians. Uh, go to Psalm 1 for a moment. It's 8 o'clock. If y'all can give me... It's one minute till 8 o'clock. Give me 11 minutes and I will be done. And if I'm not, we'll, we'll be a little longer. Okay? All right. Psalm 1. Look real quick. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. 
And he shall be like a what? Tree planted by the... Why do we want to plant a tree by the rivers of water? Anybody know? What's the purpose of it? The roots, what do the roots have to do with it? Why, why can't we have roots? You can have roots on a tree. I've seen trees without water that have roots. Why do we put them near water? To nourish that tree. Why do we need to nourish it? There's three things that tree is going to use that nourishment for. It's going to use it what? The first thing it's going to use it for is to stay alive. It's, it's got to have water. If you take the water away from the tree, it's going to die. Right? So the very first thing that it uses its nourishment for is to simply keep its life going. Can I tell you this? That the Bible tells us here uh, that we are like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. And the first bit of nourishment that we get when we delight in the law of the Lord, look at the context of verse number 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So when we get just enough nourishment to stay alive, that's all we're going to do, and we have stunted growth. We find a Christian that is stagnant. We find a Christian that gets saved, comes and visits the church or sits in the church, comes occasionally to the services, has a Bible but doesn't read it regularly, doesn't have a prayer time, is not thriving, is not growing, is not becoming closer to the Lord. They're simply staying alive. And you say, Brother Greg, why is that? Because they're not getting enough nourishment. They've only got enough to simply stay alive. If a tree has enough nourishment to stay alive and then it has additional nourishment, surplus nourishment, what else is it going to do? It's going to what? It's going to grow. It's going to grow. Why does a, church, why does a tree need to grow? What's the purpose of a tree? To bear fruit. Not only to bear fruit, but we want that tree to bear what? Much fruit. You ever seen a little old scraggly bush? that had so much fruit on it, it broke the branches off, it broke the stalk over? No, because the tree always makes sure that it's the right size for the amount of fruit that it's bearing. So the second priority it uses its nourishment for is to grow. Now, there's a lot of people that they stay alive spiritually and they grow spiritually, but they don't see a lot of fruit because we're not getting enough nourishment. Get enough nourishment, the third thing that a tree does it has enough to stay alive, it has enough to grow, and it still has excess. It's going to bear fruit. And by the way, the tree doesn't strain and struggle and work hard at bearing fruit. It just does it as part of the nourishment that it has. Just, just the natural order of things. It's going to bear fruit. And it's going to bear much fruit the more that it has the nourishment. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go back to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number... 12, for the perfecting of the saints, or the growing, the maturing, the equipping, to, to see that Christian grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said years ago that the, the measure of success in the church is not its seeding capacity, but its sending, sending capacity. How many people is it winning to the Lord, bringing in, teaching, discipling, growing them, and then sending them out to bear fruit? That is, that is the, the, the divine order of things in a church. The, the purpose of a church, first and foremost, is that we perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Well, what's the edifying of the body of Christ? What does the word edify mean? What does it mean? To build up, right? To build up the body of Christ. How do we build up the body of Christ? How do we do it? 
Do we build up the body of Christ when the body of Christ is growing spiritually, maturing spiritually? Is that edifying the body of Christ? Certainly it is. The more our Christians, uh, the more our, our membership and those that are part of our church grow spiritually, the more that that edifies the body of Christ. What about winning a lost person to Christ? Is that edifying the body of Christ? Absolutely. So there's the fruit. The purpose of the church foremost, and the, the, the main thing that drives a church, is that we perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, both to build up each other and to edify each other and to win the lost. Well, how do we do that? Okay. How do we perfect the saints? And by the way, let me just say this. We're going to talk about the measurement, the biblical measurement of a successful church. We equate success with one of three things or sometimes a combination of the three. Either facilities or funds or the size of our crowd. And you go to, you go to talk to almost any pastor and you say, how's your church doing? They're going to usually answer you with, well, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, we're in the middle of a building program. Our offerings are up and we're running 300 people. <laughs> and that's what they use as their measurement for ministry. Can I tell you, none of those three are a biblical measurement of ministry. Biblical measurement of ministry is how many people are we maturing for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is our purpose as a church. You say, well, how do we accomplish that? I'm glad you asked. I've got four minutes left. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we'll, if, we'll expound on this a little bit further next week and move on into it. Acts chapter number 2, look with me, if you will, verse number 42. Uh, back up to verse 41. This is in the early church. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them, meaning the early church, about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly, and the apostles what? Okay, so how do we perfect the saints? There's a list that is given here. And the list is the methodology that we use, if you will, or the, the tools that we use to accomplish the purpose. So if we're going to mature the saints, first and foremost, we need to be teaching and explaining and studying and ingraining truth of doctrine of God's Word in the hearts of God's people. Doctrine is a matter of great importance. It's the foundation of everything that we hold to and believe. And if we're going to go out and evangelize a lost world, we better have a good grasp on our foundation. So we, we start by focusing in our church on things of doctrine. We want to be pure in our doctrine. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. We want to make sure that we're teaching sometimes not just the milk of the word, but sometimes we get into some of the more meaty things of the word. We want to make sure that you're not getting the same message you heard 25 years ago when you were a baby Christian, but that you're starting to grow and you're starting to see some things scripturally. And we begin to study and we begin to learn more and more of the, work, of the doctrines of the word of God. The, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, notice this, and fellowship. How do we mature the saints? You know the second most important thing above doctrine or below doctrine is? Fellowship. We, we, I talk about it a lot. That fellowship is healthy for a church. I love it when our folks stick around after church and talk. I love it when we have our times down uh, in between Sunday afternoon. I think that's a mark of a healthy church. It's helping to mature the, the saints for the work of the ministry. It's one of the tools that we're using to accomplish our biblical purpose. How else do we do this? Well, we, we focus on a doctrine. By the way, 
It's going to dictate how we do our youth programs when we focus on doctrine, isn't it? It's going to change maybe the curriculum we're using, maybe our teaching methods, maybe our youth activities. By the way, it's going to change some of our church outings sometimes, isn't it? We're going to be focusing in on things of doctrine on some things. We're going to be focusing on things of fellowship on some things. All of it comes into play as we accomplish our purpose as a church. We use these tools. Number one, we focus on doctrine. Number two, we have fellowship. Number three, notice he says this, the breaking of bread. Verse number 42. And in the breaking of bread... The idea of having a devoted life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking here of the Lord's Supper. The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ, when He broke the bread and He gave it to His disciples, He said, this do in what? Remembrance of Me. Why do we have to remember the broken body and the spilled blood of the Lord Jesus, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is it, why is it healthy for a Christian to have moments where we reflect on the broken body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think maybe that when we think on those things, when we sing little songs like the old rugged cross, that our hearts are drawn closer to Him? That our love is renewed and refreshed and revitalized? Absolutely. It's necessary for the perfecting of the saints. We reflect on the things of the Lord. We meditate upon it. By the way, I, I think it's a good thing when you read your Bible, not to just go through the, the, the mechanical aspect of reading, but to look for God in the Word of God, to find Him in there. And all as we learn more about Him, His attributes, the, the way that He handles things, the way He does things, as we see His mercy and His grace, as we see sometimes His justice and His chastening, uh, it causes us to look at Him with a whole new sense of reverence and awe and wonder and love. Breaking of prayer, notice prayer. Uh, breaking of bread, and then lastly, notice in prayer. In prayer, prayer helps to mature the saint. It's part of our relationship and our walk with God as we draw closer to the Lord by remembering Him to spend time with Him in prayer. Next week, I'm going to give you a fifth one. It's not found in the book of Acts. It's found in the book of Matthew. We'll take time to look at that one next week. But folks, I want us to understand something that at Keith Ice Baptist Church, we don't want to get caught up. And I, I've been in churches, I've been part of churches, I've been part of colleges that did things the way that I explained earlier in the service tonight. That we did it because of tradition, or we did it because of peer pressure, or we did it because of pragmatism. And we developed a goal, and then because of the goal, we developed methods. And because of the methods, we then uh, started making them tradition. And uh, I've been there, been there. And we are frustrated in ministry because we do not have fruit that remains in churches like that. We want to have a biblical purpose of ministry. And then we want to go and find the biblical methods to accomplish the purpose. And so I hope this will be a help to you. We're going to study this probably for about five or six weeks yet. We've got a long ways to go. And I just we've got so many new folks here. Uh, that some of this, because of the way we're teaching it, will sound a little bit foreign to us because we're used to the other way of, of churches doing it sometimes. We've been in churches that have uh, done things that way before. Uh, we want to make sure. I know it not, there's not a church out there, I don't think, that would not say we want to be biblical. But in practice, many times they are not. And we want to try as best we can in our church 
to be biblical, not just in word, but in practice and in deed. And so uh, I want to help us with this. And I hope some of these things, these lessons will be a help to you and at least let you know the heart of our church and the direction we're, we're striving for and we're trying to accomplish here in, in our ministry. Um, and uh, what we study next week may shock you a little bit, okay? Uh, because it is counterintuitive to what a lot of even fundamental churches hold to today. And yet I believe that it is the heart of a truly fundamental church. And so I want to encourage you uh, to not miss any of these. I think they'll be a help to you. All right, let's stand together. I went about three minutes over, not too bad, of the, of the ten that I told you I was going to do. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it over the next few weeks as we take time to study these things. Father, may you guide our hearts and our thoughts. May we see it clearly from your word, the things that we ought be as a church. And then, Father, that our hearts would be stirred as we uh, strive together for the, for the uh, uh, faith and the working of the gospel in our hearts and our lives, for the labor of love that you've given to us to not just live and grow as, as a Christian, but also to bear fruit. And so, Father, we ask that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.